scriptural analysis, so I break the thought. And if you look at that, you can see the, the nuggets of thought that Paul has got uh, and how he's structuring his logic. When you get some time, have a look at that. Um, it should be that you can read the first column, the first indent straight down and, and really know what he's on about. And if we do that, um, the word that comes out most often is peace and, and his purpose of peace. And that's what we're looking at this morning. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much that you are our peace. Lord God, thank you that you have provided us with your word and that you speak to us even today. And Lord, thank you that your word is even today going out to new people who, who have not yet heard of it. But Father, we pray that this morning we who who are privileged enough to have your word in our own language. Lord, that we would not merely hear it, but that we would listen to it and that you would speak to us this morning through what you have provided in your word. Amen. Now we're not sensitive. Um, One of my favourite Christmas carols is... um, I Heard the Bells on Christmas Day. Anybody know that carol? It's the most beautiful carol. Um, it's got the traditional things about the bells of peace and goodwill to men, but, but what a lot of people don't realize is that this Christmas carol was actually written uh, right in the middle of the American Civil War. Um, and this is a carol about peace in a world and in a circumstance where peace was the last thing available. Uh, Let me just read to you a a verse which which I think captures this idea of speaking peace to a world where peace is not. It says, In despair I bowed my head, there is no peace on earth, I said, for hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill to men. As Pam said this morning, we've arrived at at the final message, the the eighth sermon in our series on on what it means to be followers of the Prince of Peace, what it means to be Christians. We've we've spent some time here, we've spent some time in the small groups, um, and and we've been trying to see what the nitty-gritty is of of what it looks like to be peacemakers. Um, Because as Christians, we are called to be peacemakers. Jesus, on the Sermon in the Mount, uh, Matthew chapter 5, he says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called the children of God. We are children of God, therefore we are to be peacemakers. And we've spent eight weeks on it. Hopefully if you've been in the Bible studies, you can tell me the four G's, the seven A's, all of those different... I, I, don't, I have to admit, I can't tell you the seven A's. Uh, I can tell you some of them. <laughs> uh, glorify God, get the log out of your own eye, go and be, well, gently reconcile, uh, gently restore, go and be reconciled. And I mean, We've got this plan for, for how we can be peacemakers. But, but does that mean that, that today, as we finish our series, we've got peace sorted? Um, I can only put my hand up and say that, that as I've been presenting this material and preaching these sermons, God's been pointing out all sorts of places where, 
where I still need to grow in terms of being a peacemaker, where I still need to grow in terms of, of being a, a person who, who can truly say, I, I seek peace in my relations with, with each other, with, well, with you guys and with people outside and, and everywhere. And I think that the thing is that, that for most of us, for all of us, being a peacemaker doesn't come naturally. I think being a peacemaker is a spiritual thing. It's a God thing. We, we do live in a world where, where peace is, is strange. We do live in a world where, where hate does mock the song of peace on earth and goodwill toward men. And, and really, that's where Paul takes us in Ephesians chapter 2. Uh, we didn't read the first uh, two or three verses, but, but Paul writes there, Ephesians 2, 1 to 3, and he tells us that, that, that all of us who are now Christians used to live in sin. We used to live just like the rest of humanity. We, we followed the, the passionate desires and the inclinations of our sinful nature. And, and part of that sinful nature is, is that we are anti-peacemakers. Our hearts are, are naturally wired to, to divide and, 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 and to not be in relation or good relations with each other. Uh, we're naturally wired to end up in conflict. That's what sin has done. And really, that's what we got here in verse 11, uh, as Bubbly read for us. This, this classic case of humanity divided. The, the, the normal New Testament situation, Jews versus Gentiles. And the second half of verse 11 just, just really highlights how, how divisive and, and, and unpleasant this division is. I mean, Paul says you're called the, the uncircumcision by those who are the circumcision. And, and that's, that's not just saying a description of, of you are uncircumcised and we are circumcised. That is, that's meant to be heard with a, a sense of arrogance. And, ha, the uncircumcised. You guys, not as good as us guys, the good people. And you know, as, as I read through the Bible, what strikes me is that, that God, who is peace, this, this wasn't His plan. Right from the get-go, Throughout Old Testament times, the people of Israel, God's people, were meant to be a missionary people who showed the world around them who God is and, and introduced them to the living God. And, and we've got some brilliant examples. Um, uh, Rahab the spy who sees God and joins God's people. We've got um, um, Ruth who sees God for who he is, joins God's people. We've got uh, Naaman who is healed by Elisha, I think, and and, and joins God's people. We've got um, uh, King Darius with, with Daniel who, who sees the power of God and issues an edict to the whole of his, his vast empire saying, you will worship the God because He alone is God. I mean, that's what, that's what the Jewish people were meant to be. They were meant to be a people saying, join us. Turn to God. Jonah, taking a message of of God to Nineveh saying, turn and, and be saved. But as Paul writes to us in, in Ephesians chapter 2, we, we have to be honest and, and say that, 
that even though the Israelites were meant to be a missionary people, that, that by definition says that, that if you weren't part of Israel, you weren't one of God's people. And Paul writes here in verse 12 and he says to the Ephesians, to you and I, he says, remember what you were before God by His grace reached in and saved you. Remember that, that you had no history with God. You had no link to Jesus. You had no right to claim Him as, as your Saviour. You were excluded from the people of God. We, we were aliens and strangers to the great promises of God, the promises of, of life and peace and His very self. Says Paul at the end of verse 12, in short, before Christ came and saved us, we were in the world without hope and without God. There was this, this barrier dividing us, separating us as non Jewish people from, from who God is, from, from being part of God's people. It says, Paul, to us, remember your situation. You are outsiders. And I love that without hope and without God because really, where is hope if there is no God? Where, where is future if we don't know the one who holds eternity in his hand? Where is purpose and meaning? Paul says, remember that. I mean, yes, there's some things that the Bible says to us, don't remember. Uh, in, I think, last week's study or the study before, we, we were told um, during the Bible study groups, don't remember the wrongs that people have done to you. Put them aside, forget. Or don't for, not, not forget, don't remember. But, but Paul comes to us and he says, that what you really do need to remember, though, is where you were at before Jesus saved you. And I wonder if, if you remember your life before you became a Christian. That's just what it is that God has saved us from. Or, or does the cross, is it just like a nice little symbol? Or when you look at the cross, do you see, wow, I really deserve to be there. Some of you, like me, um, came to know Jesus at a very young age. Uh, it's probably my earliest memory is, is inviting God into my heart. But, but even I can still look back and remember. You know, if I go to my parents' house, they'll have photos of me as a two-year-old. And, and I cannot remember that, but I can look at the photos and, and through the photos I can remember what I was. What Paul is doing here in verse 12 is He's painting a photo for us and he's saying, this is what you were. Look at it and remember what you were.
And that can be depressing. <laughs> that we were without hope. But, but I love verse 13. Though. Anytime that Paul writes but, it puts a big smile on my face. Paul says, but now God's grace has come and, and He's given us hope. And, and this problem, verse 11 and 12, that, that we were once separated and estranged from, from each other and from God, uh, verse 13, God has come and provided a solution and He's brought those who are far near. And He's united in Himself, to Himself, all of us who were cut off and, and apart from Him. And right now, we are with Him, in Him, personally, through Jesus. And we're brought near because of Jesus and what He did 2,000 years ago in the cross. If you've got your, your things there, you'll, you'll see that, that, that in Christ Jesus, parallels through the blood of Jesus, these, these two ways in which we are brought near in Jesus through His blood now 2,000 years ago. And Paul says, verse 14, the most beautiful words, He Himself is our peace. Jesus Christ is our peace. He is our great peacemaker. I love the way Bath puts it. He says, to, to speak of Jesus Christ is to speak of peace. And, and to speak of peace is to speak of Jesus Christ. The, the two are synonyms for one another. If I say Jesus, what I'm really saying is peace. And, and if I say peace, what I'm really meaning is Jesus. Uh, what Paul is doing here in, in your red section there, verses 14 to 18, he's, he's giving us a, a summary of the whole of the gospel of Jesus Christ in terms of the peace that Jesus has bought and wrought and sought for us with His blood on the cross. And he says here, verse 14, that, that as our peace, Jesus has, has brought down the barrier, the dividing wall of hostility that that, that stood and opposed us and kept us separate from each other and separate from God. And I think what, what Paul is speaking about here is uh, this, this dividing wall of hostility uh, is actually something that, that existed in Jerusalem. If you have the temple of, of Jerusalem, it's, it's got these circles going out from the most holy of holies. Uh, and in the most holy, only the high priest enters once a year. And then you've got a, a, another court outside of that where, where uh, only certain people can come and it goes out. Uh, high priest, any Jewish bloke, any Jewish person, anyone else. Uh, and really, so you've got this barrier between where the Jews can go and where the, the Gentiles can't go. And they've actually done excavations and they found the signs that were placed on this wall dividing the Jewish part and the Gentile part. And, and the signs written in Greek and Latin, I can read you one they found in 1871. It says, No foreigner may enter within the barrier and enclosure around the temple. Anyone who is caught doing so will only have himself to blame for his ensuing death. In other words, trespassers will, well, they won't be prosecuted, trespassers will be killed. And you know, I, I, I suspect the Ephesians would have picked up straight away that this is what Paul was speaking about. 
because probably only a few years before this, uh, in Acts 21, we, we have the story uh, of Paul almost being killed, uh, being accused of having taken a Gentile into the Jewish part of the temple. And the Gentile he was accused of taking in was actually an Ephesian bloke. And, and they would have known all about this, this, this separation where, where, where according to the Jewish people, if you weren't Jewish, you couldn't come close to God. And Paul writes and he says, that barrier, that, that, that wall that, that has divided you and says, you are not worthy of standing before God. That wall has been destroyed and gone and, and it's done away with in Jesus Christ because He is our peace. He has taken what was once divided, what was once separated, and He's joined it together. He's, he's taken two men, two, two different nations. He's made one new people of God. He's, he's crafted this, this new humanity where there are no divides, where there is no Greek, no Jew, no, no nothing, no divides. I love seeing those stories on the news where the doctors get the conjoined twins, uh, you know, when they joined in at their side or something. And it's, it's always great when you see they can divide them and they can live their own lives. And, and isn't that wonderful? But you know, that's a cheap party trick. Much more impressive to take two separate entities and make one. I mean, that's what Paul is saying here. God has taken these, these, these divided peoples, Jews, non-Jews, and, and He's broken down this barrier and He's created in Himself this one new humanity, this, this new person, this, this people of God, even our church today. And if I am in, in Christ, and if you are in Christ, if we're both in Christ, there, there's a unity in Him. There, there's a peace. We are in peace. Which means we can be at peace with one another. But, but even more amazing, verse 16 says, Paul, not only has God done this amazing thing of making us one in Christ, but but, but, but in Christ we have been made right with God and, and we're at peace with each other and, and through Jesus we are at peace with God. And he says, verse 17, that Jesus came and he preached peace to those who were far and peace to those who were near. That's actually a promise made in Isaiah chapter 57, I think. He came and preached peace. We've been looking at this for the last eight weeks and, and dare I say that Jesus has been speaking peace to us. Jesus still preaches peace today. When, when we stand up and say we will follow the Prince of Peace, Jesus is standing up and saying I am peace. When we stand up and say, I will not be in conflict with you, what we're saying is, Jesus is our peace, therefore we will not fight. When, when we live as the people of God, when we live as people of peace, united in Jesus, one in Him, 
we've got a, a loud hallelujah to our lips and we're saying to the whole world, there is peace. But don't we sometimes bow our heads in despair and, and say there is no peace, hate is strong and mocks the song of peace on earth, goodwill toward men. I mean, yes, our world is, is a world without peace, but, but the good news, writes Paul, is that even now, right now, today, there, there's a beachhead of peace in this world of ours. You, you know the, the military term, when, when you're taking ground and, and you've got a beachhead presence and, 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 and you're on the beach and you can go forward from there. This church, God's church, is a beachhead of peace in a world without peace. And in us and through us, God's peace is continuing to make inroads into our world. The peace of Jesus is continuing to be preached to those who have no hope, who have no God in this world. And one day when the Prince of Peace returns there will be nothing but peace. The battle will be won. So I guess the challenge for us is to live out of that peace. To, to break down the dividing walls, the, the fights and the conflicts because let's be honest, in Jesus they are already broken. They've been done away with. I mean, how could... How could we as people who follow Jesus Christ live in conflict and hostility and anger or whatever with each other when Jesus Christ has come and said, I have destroyed conflict. I have destroyed hostility. It's gone. There are no barriers between you. You are in me. And I am peace. And you are citizens of my kingdom of peace. More than that, verse 19, you are adopted into the family. You are members of the household which is defined by peace. Deuteronomy 4.7 says God is peace. Jesus Himself is peace, says Paul to us here in chapter 2 of Ephesians. And we are entered into that household. And even more amazingly, verses 20 to 22, we are being built together and joined together and melded together to become a holy temple in the Lord, a, a dwelling place where the Spirit of God lives. And it just brings to mind that, that promise that when Jesus, when the, the Prince of Peace, the King of Peace returns, He will say, now the dwelling of God is with mankind. With us, in us, through us. 
Over the last eight weeks, we've, we've gone into quite some depth about what it means to be Christians, what it means to be peacemakers. And, uh, I'd encourage you, if you've missed any of the sermons, they're on the web. If, if you want to borrow uh, the Bible study DVDs, um, I, I can give them to you. It's worth looking at. But at the end of the day, it all comes back to remembering three things. Who we were before Jesus found us. Where we're at right now, in Christ, our peace. And the future that God has in mind for us. Forever together with God, at peace with Him and with each other. Let me share with you the, the last verse of that Christmas carol I love so much. Then pealed the bells more loud and deep. God is not dead, nor does he sleep. The wrong shall fail, the right prevail. With peace on earth and goodwill toward men. Shall we close our service by singing an everlasting God? Stand up and jiggle up and down to warm up.
hasn't it? We just praise you, our God, for the 